I'm so excited today that a friend of our ministry, Dr. R.T. Kendall, is with us again. We've been blessed each month to hear from Dr. R.T. Kendall, who served at Westminster Chapel in London, England for the last 25 years. Today, I want you to especially begin to open up your heart as Dr. R.T. begins to share on sensitivity of the Spirit. Of all the messages that Dr. R.T. Kendall has preached, this probably is, has uh, the top three of influences on my life. As he begins to dig into Acts chapter three, even begin to relate about pigeon religion, I want you to begin to allow the Holy Spirit begin to touch you as Dr. R.T. Kendall speaks about the sensitivity of the Spirit. I want to talk to you today about a spectacular miracle in the earliest church performed by Peter and John. What's interesting is that Jesus could have healed him. In fact, Jesus went right by this man, 40 years old, crippled, never walked. Jesus could have healed him, but walked right by him. And suddenly we read in Acts chapter 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had daily laid at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, to ask him of those of the of ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms. Well, Peter directed his attention to them and said, Look at us. And the man thought he was going to get something. And then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man was instantly healed. A brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to be upon every person watching and hearing that their perception what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. May this be a life-changing word, a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the question is, why didn't Jesus heal this man? Some have the idea of Jesus comes into your house, everybody will be healed. Well, the truth is Jesus went by him many times over previous years, walked right by him, didn't heal him. And then one day, Peter and John heal him. What's going on? What I want to talk to you about today, aspects of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the sovereignty of the Spirit. You see, the sovereignty of the Spirit mirrors the sovereignty of God. God said to Moses, repeated in Romans 9, 15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Well, so with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is referred to in John chapter 3, verse 8, where having said to uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again, said the Spirit blows where it wills, like the wind. You can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going, because every person born of the Spirit is a sovereign act of God. We must never forget that. Well, now, sovereignty of the Spirit. The point being, why didn't Jesus heal this man? Here's what we know. Jesus was not his own man. That may surprise you. 
but he said so himself. John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. And so Jesus does what the father says. And I sometimes think that as he walks by this crippled man, he looks to the father and says, uh, are we going to heal him? Uh, but the father said, maybe I, I, I fantasize that he might have said to Jesus, I'm saving him for Peter and John. I can't prove that. But what I know is Jesus didn't heal him. And then one day, Peter and John, they're on their way to a prayer meeting. And suddenly they stop. And they know that God wants to heal this man because in the sovereign purpose of God, this man's time had come. And God waited on Peter and John to do that. Well, the sovereignty of the Spirit. What that means is that the Holy Spirit is like Jesus in this way. Jesus could do nothing except what the Father told him to do. Likewise, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a verse in John 16. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own. What that means is that the Holy Spirit doesn't have one will. The Father has another will, and they argue back with each other. No, they're together. Jesus did what the Father wanted him to do. The Holy Spirit did what the Father wanted him to do. And now the man's healing. The time has come. Maybe you're waiting for healing. You need to know you cannot twist God's arm. All we can do when it comes to any request, it's like the leper. The leper, he knew his place. He knew that he was not going to be welcome wherever he goes. But he knew if he came to Jesus, Jesus would accept him, except for one thing. The leper doesn't come and snap his finger and say, Jesus, you've got to do something. Oh, no, don't ever do that. God doesn't have to do anything. But here's what the leper said. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. And I would suggest that to anyone. Don't ever think that you can demand things. Uh, don't go there ever. But you say, Lord, if you will. All right. The sovereignty of the Spirit. The man's time had come. And I pray that your time will come. And I pray the time will come when God will pour out his spirit in great measure. And we see he healings and miracles. I'm looking forward to that. And it can come any time. But the question is, how did Peter and John know to do this? You see, they were on their way to a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting in the early church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and John on their way to the prayer meeting, and suddenly they stop. How did they know that the time for this man's healing had come? I want now to introduce what I think is a very, very important subject, the sensitivity of the Spirit. Now, I've written a book called Sensitivity of the Spirit. Some people refer to that book as being sensitivity to the Spirit. That's not the title. It may come to that, and that's important. But here's the thing. We need to know something about the third person of the Trinity. He's a very, very sensitive person. That means he gets his feelings hurt. That means that uh, it's easy to offend him. 
And you may say, well, he ought not be like that. But that's the way he is. And he's not going to adjust to us. We must adjust to him. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, the word grieve comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. Uh, that lets us know that the third person of the Godhead, this may surprise you, but this is the way he is. You know, when I first uh, came in touch with this teaching, which was pretty much new to me, if I'm telling you the truth, I had not discovered it. And then when I saw it, I thought, my, I don't know where we could have missed it. But here's what we know. The third person of the Godhead is hypersensitive. And I wanted to call the book The Hypersensitivity of the Spirit. My publisher talked me out of it, said nobody will know what you mean by that. But the truth is, it is easy to grieve the Spirit. Now, what that means, he gets his feelings hurt. Now, we don't lose our salvation. In fact, Paul could not be clearer. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with him you are sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can be clearer than that. But what it does mean is that when we grieve the Spirit, the sense of his presence just goes away. Uh, there's an interesting verse in John chapter 1, where John the Baptist said, The reason I knew that this Jesus was the Messiah I was told that when you see the dove come down and remain, when the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and remain, you know that's the one. And then the verse after that says the Holy Spirit will come down and remain. Many of us are aware that the Holy Spirit is depicted in the New Testament as a dove. By the way, that's not the only way. He's depicted as fire, wind, uh, other ways. But why the dove? Well, the dove is a very sensitive, shy bird. And this is the way he's depicted. And what John says, the dove would come down and remain. One day I saw that word remain in a way I'd never seen it before. You see, here's what, sadly, I've discovered about myself. That the Holy Spirit will come down, but it doesn't remain. Uh, there have been times, I'm sure many of you watching, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When the Holy Spirit comes down, there's such peace. There's such joy. And you think, Lord, oh, this is wonderful. Please, please stay. Don't, don't leave. Don't go. But life goes on, and before the day's over, you think, what happened? He, he was so real. Maybe it happened when... Uh, you were going down the interstate and car in front of you going so slow and you roll down your window and you shout, what's the matter with you? Or you're in a supermarket and, and you're in a hurry and you're at the cash register to pay and you want to get out, but there's a little old lady in front of you. She's in no hurry and she's counting her change and you think, oh, you wanted her to hear you. She did, but so did the Holy Spirit. And it's just like the dove flew away. But you know, that never happened with Jesus. The Holy Spirit came down and remained. Jesus never, ever grieved the Holy Spirit. And 
if you and I could learn the secret of not grieving him. Well, you may say, Artie, what grieves the spirit? I can tell you. As soon as Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, he added these words, let all bitterness, anger, strife, clamor be put away from you, speaking evil of one another. And then he added, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The chief way, it's not the only way, but the chief way we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we are bitter, when we're angry. And the scary thing about being angry is at the time, we don't feel anything. We don't think there's anything wrong about it. You know, a person's going in front of you, they're slowing down and you honk your horn. What's wrong with that? Maybe not the worst sin in the world, but the Holy Spirit just leaves for, for the moment. Or you're trying to get someplace and somebody's in front of you and you say, get out of my way. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Not, it's not the greatest sin in the world, but I'm saying it is so easy to grieve the Holy Spirit and the dove just flies away. Uh, perhaps you know this, that pigeons and doves are in the same family. Uh, uh, anatomically, a pigeon and a dove, the very same, no difference, except in temperament. For example, you can train a pigeon, but you cannot train a dove. Pigeons are boisterous. Jo doves are gentle. Uh, I've written a book called Pigeon Religion. You know, there are those of us who can't tell the difference between a pigeon and a dove, and I see the pigeon as a symbol of counterfeit religion. People will say, you should have been in church Sunday. The Holy Ghost came down. And you get to the bottom of it, and it was possibly pigeon religion. There are those who can't tell the difference. There's, they just think there's a lot of noise and shouting, everybody happy. Uh, the dove is gentle. And so when it comes to understanding the Holy Spirit, just remember he won't bend the rules for any of us. Uh, there was a couple from Britain that went to Israel as missionaries. And um, they noticed that they'd been given a home to live in near Jerusalem, and a dove had come to live in the eave of the roof of their house. They were so excited. It was kind of like a, a seal of God on their being in Israel. But they noticed that every time they would slam a door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would get into an argument with each other and start shouting, the dove would fly away. And one day, Sandy said to Bernice, have you noticed the dove? Oh, she said, it's like a seal of God in our being in Israel. But every time we slam a door, we start shouting at each other, the dove just flies away. And she said, yes, and I'm so afraid that the dove will fly away and never come back. He looked at her, and these words he told all over England years ago. He said to her, either the dove adjusts to us, or we adjust to the dove. Would you believe it changed their lives just to keep a dove, an animal, in the eve of the roof of their house? They were never the same again. But I must tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a hundred times more sensitive than that. And it is so 
easy to grieve him. And I never will forget many years ago when I came to understand something of this, I thought, you know, it's not fair. It's so easy to grieve the spirit. We're all human. Well, true, but this is the way the Holy Spirit is. And I'll tell you something. It's I would have thought this insight is one of the most life-changing words that I've ever come across. And when you begin to practice and realize how easy it is to grieve the Spirit, some years ago, just as I was going into the pulpit of a church in Florence, Alabama, pastor said to me, just as we were walking in, he said, by the way, what's a veteran like you got to say to a young whippersnapper like me? I thought, well, what do I say? I said, I've got it. Find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and don't do that. And you've got your work cut out for you. Here's the thing. Anger, bitterness, holding any kind of grudge. You don't lose your salvation. That's the good news. But here's something you need to face. If you're wanting the conscious presence of God, the sense of his anointing, he won't bend the rules for any of us. And when we find out what grieves the Spirit, whether it's slamming a door or shouting, I can tell you, it will make a difference. I've come up with this word. I don't know if I've coined a word or not. Ungrieved. Keep the Holy Spirit in you ungrieved. That's like when Jesus came down, or the Spirit on Jesus, the dove, the dove just remained. Jesus never grieved the Spirit. And if we could learn to realize that the Holy Spirit, when it comes down, it's the most wonderful thing. It's a treasured moment. And I know what it is to say, Lord, this is so good. Just stay, just stay. And I would define spirituality as closing the time gap between sin and repentance. For example, how long does it take you to admit you sinned? (laughs) How long does it take you to admit you were wrong? You know, some of us, uh, we say, I will never admit I was wrong. And there are those time gap years, 25 years. And then one day they wake up and say, you know, I've been thinking maybe I was wrong. All those years. Some narrow the time gap to months. And then they say, sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. Some narrow the time gap to weeks. Some to a few days. That's better. But some narrow the time gap to a few hours, and some to a few minutes, and would you believe it? Some to a few seconds. If we could learn to narrow the time gap to a few seconds, we begin to know his ways. God said of ancient Israel, Hebrews chapter 3, they have not known my ways. Well, God wants you to know his ways. And one of the ways of the Holy Spirit is it's easy to grieve him. You know, I have friends who say, what we need is for the fire to come down. I couldn't agree more. But remember this, when the fire came down on the day of Pentecost, 
There were 10 days when they prayed, and when they were all at one accord, with one accord, they were in agreement. When they were together, then the Spirit came down. It's true, I want the fire to come down, but maybe we need to learn how to bring the dove down when he's ungrieved, unquenched, and he just is himself. Well, here's the thing. How did Peter and John know that this time had come for the man's healing? How did they know? Because they're on their way to a prayer meeting. Well, suddenly, they both instantly, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit because they honored the sensitivity of the Spirit. I reckon that if Peter and his wife had had a big fight that morning, and they now were on their way to the prayer meeting, they would have made it to the prayer meeting. Or just at the moment when Peter says to the crippled man, look at us, and John stops, wait a minute, Peter, why is it always you saying look at us? Why can't I say it once in a while? Do you know what? The dove would have just flown away. But they were together, and they were in union. There was no rivalry. And they said, look at us. And I think if the church could come to the place where all of us, there's no rival spirit, we're not trying to outdo one another or get attention, what a difference it would make. And because the Holy Spirit in Peter and John ungrieved, God the Father could direct the Spirit and instantly, because Peter and John enjoyed the ungrieved spirit, no rival spirit, no argument. They never made it to that prayer meeting. They stopped. And they looked at this crippled man and said, look at us. You see, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Some people could criticize them. Well, they should have gone to the prayer meeting. <laughs> well, all I know is they never made it to that prayer meeting. And God came in unexpectedly. Well, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the sovereignty of the Spirit, the sensitivity of the Spirit, but there's a third thing I want you to see, the surprise of the Spirit. Here's what happened. Crowds gathered, and they came from everyone, hundreds coming up. What's going on? They see this crippled man instantly healed, and you know what Peter says to them? Why does this surprise you? That's interesting. Why does it surprise us? Well, here's the thing I want to get over, if I could. If the Holy Spirit is in us ungrieved, nothing should surprise us. If he's grieved and we're angry, <laughs> the big surprise if God stepped in, he could, he could overrule. But it's more likely when we are together, let's say I've got a friend and he and I are enjoying fellowship and we enjoy the fellowship because the ungrieved spirit is in him and the ungrieved spirit is in me and we just enjoy one another. I might say, if I may, that's the kind of fellowship I have with Tim Delena. It's just wonderful. And my son, TR, is with us. Uh, the three of us, we enjoy the fellowship because in common, each of us has the Holy Spirit ungrieved. But then sometimes this happens, and by the way, it hasn't happened lately, so I'm just imagining something. But here's, let's say a fourth person comes in, and uh, he is not aware of our fellowship, 
and he starts running down people and said, what's wrong with this place? And you can sense immediately the fellowship is broken and the dove just flies away. You see, if any church could enjoy the Holy Spirit ungrieved, not just two or three, what if a dozen? What if a hundred? Imagine a church with a hundred people and all of them enjoying the ungrieved spirit. I can tell you, who knows what would happen? Nothing should surprise us. That means that God just can break in with ease. And that's the way we should live, in such a way that if God shows up, nothing surprises us. It's a wonderful thing when we honor him. Uh, just before we went on this program, we were talking about my name. Uh, my name is Robert Tillman. I go by R.T. My father named me after his favorite preacher, uh, R.T. Williams. He had a saying, and I grew up hearing this. Here was his saying, honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I, I heard that as I grew up. That means honor the blood of Jesus, and you honor the Holy Spirit, and you honor him by living in such a way that you don't quench the Spirit, you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we live like this, then nothing should surprise us. Nothing. And so Peter said, why does this surprise you? It shouldn't. And then we come to the fourth point I want to make today. I call it the strategy of the Spirit. Why that word? I can tell you there was a divine strategy. It was at work. Why didn't Jesus heal that man? Jesus went by him several times. He just passed him up. And I reckon, I reckon that God was waiting for the right time because he knew the day would come that Jerusalem would need a platform. You say, well, they had a platform. Day of Pentecost, uh, 3,000 converted. True, but most of those that were converted were not from Jerusalem. They came from all over the Mediterranean, and they went back to their homes. When they all left, just a handful of people, part of the Jerusalem church. And they needed a platform. And God had a strategy. And I can tell you, he has a strategy with all of us. We may wonder, Lord, why don't you work? Why do you take so long? Uh, I think of Psalm 84, verse 11. I think of this verse almost every day. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And you would think, well, why couldn't that man be healed? Wouldn't it be a good thing if Jesus had healed him? Well, remember, the divine strategy, when you see what God is up to, what he has in mind, you won't complain. And so the day came when Peter and John suddenly see this man healed and hundreds and hundreds come running up because they knew about that man. They knew that crippled man, 40 years old, never walked. 
He was a household name in Jerusalem. He was a fixture. Everybody knew about him. And now he's not only walking, but he's leaping. He's leaping. And they said, what's going on? What is this? What does Peter do? This is very important. He says, why does this surprise you? And why are you looking at us? You know, I don't mean to be unfair, but I'm afraid that some of us, if we saw a miracle like that, we'd call in the New York Times and want an interview and say, look what happened in our church. Not Peter, not John. They said, why are you looking at us? As though we did something that caused this man to walk. And what did they do? They are given a platform. And how did they use the platform? They used the platform to preach the gospel. This is what Jerusalem needed. You may say, well, they needed some kind of affirmation. They needed encouragement. They needed everybody to see uh, that, that they were not just uh, ordinary people, but now they're going to be superstars. You know, that didn't cross their minds. Immediately, they just said, why look at us as though we have done something. And here's what they said. I can tell you that the God of Abraham raised up Jesus, son of God, who died on the cross and shed his blood. And now he is alive and he is wanting your repentance. And what Peter and John did was to take advantage of the platform and not call attention to themselves or even so much to the miracle, but to the fact that Jesus came. He died. And I want you to know the most important thing I can say to you, the most important thing anybody can say to you, I would put it by way of a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? Has anybody ever asked you that? It's the most important question anybody can put to you. Now, it may annoy you a bit. Uh, when I was at Westminster Chapel, we were out on the streets and we would put this to passers-by and it made a lot of them angry. But not everybody. Once in a while, somebody would stop and then they would listen to us. And I would urge you not to be angry when I put this question to you. It's the kindest, most loving question anybody can put to you. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And then I would ask you a second question. If you were to stand before God, you will. And if he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? What would you say to him? Suppose it's for real and you're standing before God and you're at the judgment. And after judgment, it's heaven or hell. And dear friend, eternity lasts a long time. What would you say to God? Let's suppose it's, you'll be all by yourself, because you will. You won't have your best friend, your parent, a loved one to whisper the answer. And you're going to have to come up with the answer. 
and you give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else where you don't want to go. So what would you say? Would you say, well, I've tried to do this. I've tried to be a good person. I would just have to say lovingly to you, that's not enough. What if you said, I've done my best? Well, I'm sorry, but even your best isn't good enough. Well, RT, that's not fair. If you've done your best, what more can you do? You see, doing our best will still come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anything short of the glory of God is sin. You don't need to rob a bank to be a sinner. You don't need to kill somebody to be a sinner. Sin is in our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Jealousy is sin. Getting angry with another person, that's sin. If it does not come to your mind, when the question is put to you, what you would say to God if you're standing before Him, why you should go to heaven, if it doesn't come to your mind to say, because Jesus died for me on the cross. If that doesn't come to your mind, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world, but that can all change. It's no accident that you tuned in. It's no accident you've heard this question. I would ask you now, if you did not say in your heart, because Jesus died, but you're trusting your good works, your baptism, confirmation, church membership, but you didn't say because of Jesus, because of his blood, you need to pray this prayer. Say this wherever you are. You can say it out loud, that's better. Say it in your heart, God will see you. Repeat these words, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. Did you pray that prayer just then? Did you? I can tell you. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, I can tell you something. The Bible says you've just been born again. Yep. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Best thing that will ever happen to you. You now have the Holy Spirit. And you have the promise of Jesus who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's with you forever. Thank God that he sent Jesus. Thank God for the most important question and that you heard it today and you responded. God bless you. Let me just pray this. Heavenly Father, apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Wow. Thank you so much, RT. I have to tell you, of all the messages that RT has preached over the years that I've heard him, this has probably been the one that I've carried with me more than any other message. It has so affected me, especially 
that part when he talks about maturity. It's 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 making the time frame between the grieving of the spirit, that may be that act of the flesh, that sin, and repentance, and shortening that time gap. Those are things of, of this message that have so challenged me. I want to ask you to do me a favor. In fact, this is the message we all need to hear. And it's something that I, I want you to share with, with friends and with and with people in your church that literally God would begin to do that work of the Holy Spirit in our churches. But the thing that I'm most excited about are those that made that decision that RT talked about, being born again. The most important question anyone could ever ask you, RT asked you, and you made the right decision. What you did was you decided today to be born again. You decided today I want to follow Jesus. I want to ask you to do me one favor. You're going to see a number come on the screen. I'm going to ask you wherever you are to text the word decided to 51000. That's 51,000, 51000. We are right now doing something brand new and I don't want you to miss it. This is the reason why we want you to text 51000, the word decided. As soon as you send this, we want to help you on this brand new journey that you've decided to follow Jesus on. Well, you're going to get in the first week, you're going to get four different links that are going to take you to five to seven minute videos really to start helping you on this journey. Everything from communion and water baptism to Bible reading and prayer. And these are going to be just simple guides on this brand new journey. Over the next six weeks, we want to begin to help you walk on this journey. You're going to have people contact you and begin to help you as you have made the greatest decision of your life. You decided to be born again. Please text the word decided to 51000. We celebrate with you. And as R.T. Kendall said, happy birthday, happy second birthday. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.